1: Episode 131 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today's guest was really just an absolute joy for me to talk to. I feel like even though she is so early in her grief, she has so much to share and I just know that she will be able to do some amazing things in the future. She mentions in the show that she has 20 more hours remaining of her 300-hour yoga intensive training to teach trauma-informed yoga and she plans to get those completed by the end of this month, so she would like me to let you all know that she loved to be able to hear from listeners and connect to them, especially those who are dealing with someone who's experiencing challenges associated with addiction or suicide, other mental health disorders. She would just love to connect with them. To connect with her, just visit her website, jamiesfitforlife.com. So J-A-M-I-S fitforlife, all one word, dot .com. Because of that, I'm going to start something new. So I've been thinking about doing this for quite a while, but Jamie is really the perfect guest to kind of practice, I would say, this and see how it works. So what we're going to do is this next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we are going to have a little live stream on Facebook Live and my YouTube channel where we are going to have a little question and answer session with Jamie. So we're going to just have a little follow-up conversation and then anyone who wants to come on and ask Jamie questions, ask me questions, it would just be great. And it may be five or ten minutes and may go half an hour. I'm not sure. It really just depends on what kind of interaction we have. So anyway, keep a mind of that when you are listening that this next coming Tuesday, which will be March 22nd at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, go ahead and log on to my Facebook page or my YouTube channel and listen to us and bring any questions you have for Jamie or for me. So, we're going to see how this goes, and I may continue doing this in the future with other guests as well. Again, to stay updated on events like this, certainly sign up to get email blasts from my email, and you will be able to. Get any blog information I do or any other information to come out. You can also see wonderful pictures of Judson and the other guests with the link that goes directly to the podcast. Also make sure to email me. I love hearing from listeners if you want to be on the show or have a topic that you want Gwen and I to discuss. You know, just any kind of information. I just love to hear from people. So go ahead and email me at marcy at Uh, So for now, just sit back and listen to Judson's mom, Jamie. Thank you so much, Jamie, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. I really look forward to talking to you today.
2: Oh, it is my honor. Thank you so much, Marcy. I just, and I want to start out by saying that you you have really saved me uh, listening to your podcast and hearing about your, your Andy and how you've survived this and moved forward. And I mean, it's really, I, I was in the depths of despair and about a month and a half ago, I found your podcast and I'm still very early in my grief. And so listening to you and hearing that, I might actually be able to move forward for several months since I'm in acute early stages of grief, I have been Mm -hmm. isolating and I have been self-medicating and those are not working. Those are not, So I started listening to you and a couple of other grieving mother podcasts. And I just, I mean, I really binge listened and I, I just want to give you that credit out the gate here to say thank you, because I think you, you may have saved my life.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I I appreciate you saying that. And one thing that I love that you said is that you said you have gotten some hope to move forward and you didn't use the phrase move on because everyone tells you you need to move on. You need to move on. No, you don't need to move on because move on, it sort of means you're moving past it. Mm -hmm. But when you move forward, you're moving forward and, and the grief is coming alongside you and the grief will always be there with you and Mm -hmm. it's going to change and it's going to look different, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be alongside you. So we want to move forward because I don't want to be stuck where I am forever, but
2: moving forward is different than moving on or
1: getting past it.
2: Thank Mm -hmm. you. And, And I, I'm learning, you know, words are important and I'm really learning terminology that is, synonymous with healthy uh, grieving because I'm still, I'm only eight months in to losing my son. And I have to tell you that I did try to listen to a couple of podcasts a couple of months ago, and it was a grieving mother podcast. And the people started laughing right off the bat. And I was so not ready to hear people laughing. I I Mm -hmm. lost my son. I'm coming here to, I want people to be like, (laughs) I guess in the depths of despair, like me, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I, Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't hear it. So it's really, That's why I hope one day I can come back and be on your podcast again, because I still have very much grief brain fog right now. So I'm hoping my thoughts Mm -hmm. will formulate and you guys can understand them, but it's just such a shock at first. And then you're in the depths of despair. And when do you come out of that despair? You know? And I think I heard you saying with someone a couple of weeks ago, yes, you're hurting, but what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Like how does your life look? And like I said, drinking IPA, sitting in front of my TV, just crying by myself is not working. Yeah. <laughs> and especially you know, with my background in being a fitness instructor and a health coach and helping others, you know, it's just, it's hard though, to motivate yourself when, or anyone else for that matter.
1: It's really hard too, because then you think I've not just lost my son. I've lost myself. Absolutely. And that was a huge part. Just a huge revelation to me, I think. Thinking about, I didn't just lose Andy, I lost me. And who am I now? And then trying to even redefine yourself a little bit because I'm not the same person I used to be. And I want to still like who I am. Mm-hmm. And especially in those early stages for me when I had a lot of anger, I didn't like angry me. Yeah. angry me is not who I am I'm not an angry person I'm a pediatrician for goodness sake <laughs> pediatricians are in general not real angry people <laughs> if Thank so goodness. you picked the wrong career choice but that's what I was feeling I was just it was hard to let go of that anger but I needed to eventually to be able to kind of find myself again mm-hmm.
2: well that's encouraging because I'm still very angry very yes angry. well and, my- and that's <sighs> totally expected it
1: took me a long time to let go of that and honestly, beginning- over a
2: year for sure. Okay, and
1: you being at eight months, I do want to tell you, too, that I felt like I was probably at about my low, and that's six to seven months because I hit six months, and people start to forget a little bit mm-hmm. and they start to they start to move on mm-hmm. and think that you should too. Mm-hmm. And you just can't because every second of every day is still different for you, even though for them, life has turned around and is pretty much back to how it used to be.
2: Yeah. And of course we've all, I've heard you and your guests talk about this over and over and how friends that you thought were yeah. just going to be right there by your side the whole time. And they're mm-hmm. just kind of fallen by the wayside. And then a lot of people came out of the woodwork that I haven't seen in years. And they're here for me more than some mm-hmm. of my closest friends. It's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting journey for sure. Yeah. And I certainly didn't expect that at all
1: either. Well, I really do want to start talking about Judson because we have really taken a left turn here. I think good <laughs> discussion, but you want to hear about
2: your son Judson and all about his Thank life? You. Thank you so much. Um, I want to start by saying that I have two children. I have my daughter Candace and mm-hmm. my son in law, her husband, and my two kids, Jackson and Charlie, uh, my two grandkids. And then my son Judson is my angel child. He was 38 when he died May 29th, 2021. Losing my son has been soul crushing. Mm-hmm. But from the moment Judson was born, he was just this fun, loving, curious, gregarious, cutest little boy, jokester, super active, super, just a ton of friends. He was always, always on the go and just trying new things, you know, was really, really fun and, and curious, you know, mm-hmm. really curious through grammar school. He played all the sports. He was a cub scout. He had a motocross bike. He snowboarded, wakeboarded, and he did all the things. And he was, he was really a popular kid. Everybody really liked Mm -hmm. him. You know, he was really fun. He was kind of like a leader, just a natural born leader. And his teachers would always say, you know, if, if I can get Judson to do it, the rest of the class will. So I was really, really proud, you know, of of both my kids. It was just, I, you know, we all love our kids and we think they're the greatest. Um, So he really, really lived life to the fullest. And then around 13 or 14 years old, He started telling me that he wanted to have his own business one day, an apparel company where he designed his own line of clothing and he was really interested in photography and he had a really nice photography eye, you know, and really Uh creative. And so as he went through high school, I never stopped hearing about that. But upon graduation, he decided that at the age of 19, he went and bought his own house. He didn't even tell us that he was buying a house. (laughs) Just one day yeah. One day I came home and there was a message from a real estate agent on our phone and he was buying his own house at 19. Now this is probably because his father and I, we'd been married for a long time and I was um, in the pre stages of, you know, I was going to leave soon. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think my son kind of felt that, and it was a tense it was a tense household. right? So uh, there was domestic violence. And I just, I knew that when my kids moved out, I was leaving. So there was kind of that looming over the top of us. And I know that really, I know my divorce had a really huge, heavy impact on both my kids, even Mm -hmm. though they were adults. And sometimes I think it's harder on adult kids, but I think you're right. I think that can be the case Mm -hmm. yeah, because they're not around enough to see. Mm -hmm. It it just, you know, we were the, our house was the hub for friends, family, everybody. And then that kind of got, you know, well, it totally changed. So he bought his house and then he decided he wanted to be a firefighter and he went to Shasta College Firefighting Academy in Redding, California. He graduated at the top of his class. And when it came Uh time for the master of ceremonies to give out the awards, he would name the characteristics of the person and then name Uh the person. And he Uh was talking, they were talking about the leadership award. And when they started naming the characteristics, I was like, oh, it's Judson. And sure enough, Judson got the leadership award. I mean, he was just, and then he immediately got hired by Cal Fire Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and um, he just excelled. He excelled at Cal Fire. He had so many great friends. He had this amazing, uh, he was like a rising star. And I would hear stories from his captains. I've got so many, so many notes and letters from Judson's performance and how he was just always an overachiever. He was happy to help. He was the best friend. He was in more firefighter weddings, either as the <laughs> ba- best man or a groomsman. I mean, he was just, he was that guy, you know, that. Yeah, shining star. Yeah. And he was really, really great at helping people with the dirtiest jobs. Like there was nothing he couldn't do. People used to call him MacGyver and he would also have this, like he was, always looking for kind of a thrill too. You know, he bought a street bike for a while and was racing around town. I was like, Oh, that as a mother, that's really hard. But he also had this real soft side. He was very sensitive also. Uh-huh. So he was a real, you know, he's like, let me jump into that fire. But he also was a very sensitive soul. And as a matter of fact, his niece and nephew, he would read them bedtime stories. He was so loving with them and He would, you know, keep them up past their bedtime and make forts and, you know, and and he (laughs) could build, oh, he was, he was, they, they loved him. And he was that guy that, Hey, let's go build a tree fort. And he would build a structurally sound tree fort in one day, you know, I mean, he was (laughs) just incredible. Yeah. And so, and the year after firefighting, he got married. And so then 10 years goes by, right. Mm-hmm. and I noticed there was something there you know how you can look back hindsight is twenty twenty, yes. and you can go huh so there was just I just want to throw that out there there was just this kind of like oh, is everything okay you know kind of thing and in 2013 Judson joined a startup company he moved to New Jersey for a minute he was traveling all over the country helping this startup company um, launch this software and he loved it and then he moved back to California and that's when he started his photography business wildly okay. successful. And then he opened Maltese militia, which was his firefighting apparel company. That really? He dreamed, yes. And the kid, And was
1: he still working as a firefighter?
2: Or no, he end- ended up quitting because yeah. he was doing so well. He kind of, he got to a point where, you know, he always said his dream was to be his own boss. Right. And he loved it. He said, he told me it was really hard to leave but he stayed friends with all those guys. And they actually, you know, they helped him as much as they could with, but they were all starting their families and everything. Now, the part of this story that I didn't tell you is Mm -hmm. that 2006, the year after he graduated from the fire Academy, remember I said he got married Mm
0: -hmm.
2: well, six months into that marriage, his wife cheated on him and they got divorced and he was never the same after that. Yeah. This story is, uh, it's just so sad because what happened is he was so depressed
1: mm-hmm.
2: that he couldn't sleep at the fire station. So we're back, you know, we're back now a year after he graduated and he's working for CDF. I mean, at uh, Cal fire full-time he couldn't sleep because he was mm-hmm. so depressed and they're at the fire yeah. station and he couldn't sleep. And then when you finally would fall asleep, If a fire bell went off in the middle of the night, they couldn't wake him up. And they literally had to, like, kind of throw him in the truck and he was slowing them down. And then he'd kind of finally wake up on the way there. And so his captain, who absolutely loved him, said, You need to get help. So he went to the doctor, our family doctor, who had been our family doctor since my kids were born. Mm -hmm. And this is circa 2006. And my, my son said, before I was even done talking, he was already writing on his prescription pad, Adderall to wake you up, Ambien to put you to sleep and an antidepressant. And there was one other. So this cocktail of drugs. Okay. Now this, I did not know this. I only found this out after what happened remember I said there was kind of a, uh, during that 10 years, I was, I started to go, where's my gregarious, fun, loving, like, where's the sparkle in your eye? So I don't know that he had become addicted to Adderall and I didn't know anything about Adderall. I did not know how highly addictive it is and how, if you continue to take it over a long period of time, especially, you know, of course you build up, build up a tolerance and then you need more Mm -hmm. and then you run out before, you know, your prescription is due again. And so maybe you start seeking out other things, which is exactly what happened to my son. And now we're in 2015, his business is wildly successful. He moved his shop. He had to move it like three times just for, we don't even need to go into all that. But he finally landed a really awesome shop that he could really crank the workout in. Unfortunately, he was so wildly successful That he got behind on orders and he couldn't keep up. Mm
1: -hmm. Now
2: he's already addicted to Adderall, which I did not know. I just knew he wasn't quite my same Judson, but didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then in 2016, I started noticing these just weird behavior changes. This guy who could work, everyone under the table started kind of sleeping longer. He was getting home really late. He was sleeping longer. Now he owned his own home and he had rented it out. So he, since he had renters, he stayed with me for a while, which is, I was really able to go, Whoa, this yeah. is crazy behavior. I started noticing things were starting to appear in my, my yard. I had a big barn and you know, it had just I had a small winery. I mean, not winery, but vineyard. And so I had just like some vineyard Items in there and a lawnmower, and you know, just rakes and shovels. And then I started noticing like stuff was appearing junk. I was like, Judson, what is all this stuff? You know, it's ju- I mean, it is junk and this behavior. And then he just started getting he would be angry, he would be mad if I questioned him. We couldn't sit down and have a conversation. And then one year later, 2017, March of 2017, you could have pushed me over with a feather, Marcy that's when i found out he was a full on meth addict it had started the year before or i guess a year and a half before where he was so busy and wildly successful and staying up all night trying to finish his you know his orders he started you know people started getting mad cuz he wasn't getting done in time and then he was having to refund money and now he was making so much money and now it was going down 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 so he started borrowing money from me and then when I found out this happened, I was like, Oh no, not my son, not this family, you know, because we think it happens to right. other people. Right. And so I shut down. I had a, a very successful personal training and coaching business, a health coaching business. And I, I literally shut it half down and just spent most of my time helping him researching addiction, researching Adderall, looking at all the side effects of Adderall and how meth, you know, it, it's kind of like what the opioids are to heroin, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Adderall is to meth. It's, you get the same, one is a downer and Adderall yeah. and meth are uppers. And so for him to be able to stay up He needed that upper plus he was already addicted to the Adderall, which I didn't know, which is why that's so
1: crazy to me that somebody just prescribed Adderall just to help you wake up. That's like insane. I don't Mm -hmm. understand that. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I put kids on it that have ADHD obviously. And then we make them sign a contract. You don't sell it to anyone. You don't do anything. You don't like this is for you because your brain and the way it works needs it to get it back to kind of a normal state, right? This is not for somebody with a structurally more typical brain, you know, to use as an Mm -hmm. upper because it it does have addictive qualities that can be used, unfortunately. So that just, it appalls me that a physician would give this to a firefighter who can't wake up. Like, I don't don't understand that, especially in the state he was in, you send him to
2: therapy, (laughs) you know, I mean. This is where I really wish I could go back and do things over. I mean, we can always, I wish, I wish I would have done things. Of course I didn't know, but Marcy, I have to tell you, speaking of this family doctor, when my son and I were finally able to talk about this, when I was helping him through Mm -hmm. his addiction, or at least I thought I was helping him, what I was really doing was enabling him. But when we were able to have a heart to heart talk and he was really telling me this story, he said, mom, he was known as the Adderall doctor. To all, uh, he said. He said one um, gal that he had dated after he got divorced, she was like, "Oh yeah, he's the Adderall doctor." And he talked to a few, you know, the firefighter. It's a, it's like, oh, they knew to go to him, and it uh, it really made. That's part of my anger right there. Yeah, for sure. You know,
1: I can see that. Absolutely, <sighs> I can see that.
2: Oh, hundred percent. So, as a mother of an addict, and any mother out there who has gone through this, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Your life is turned upside down. You are insanely crazy. You are constantly, you never stop worrying and Mm -hmm. thinking, am I going to get that phone call? What's going to happen? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And so, um, after two years of trying really hard to help him giving my money to him, and I, I'm not a wealthy person anyway, and I was doing this all by myself. I cashed in my retirement because I helped him to catch up on back rent. And he, you know, when you own a business, you're, you're constantly um, creating new vendor. I mean, you have all these vendors, you know, to pay off. And I, so I, I started helping with that. And then I started borrowing money from friends because I just knew that my son, my rock star firefighter entrepreneur son successful was mm-hmm. going to get through this. I just, yeah, I believed absolutely. that with everything I had. And unfortunately I was going down right alongside him mentally spiritually financially and i just kept having hope i just kept thinking oh no this, he's going to turn this around and the bad part this is something else that i'm kind of angry about is i don't know if i wasn't looking in the right places or whatever but i was listening to uh, addiction podcasts at the time i was calling anybody that i could that i researched and emailing and talking and i to people who were either former addicts or they ran addiction recovery centers Mm-hmm. and I kept getting the same information like, oh they just need to hit rock bottom and okay they you know they're just making when they finally make the choice that they want to be better and I'm like now I know that that does yeah. not work it, rock bottom is now an outdated it's it, it is not um, even on the table anymore yeah. in 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 the newest research and it is uh, you know because we all know there's three things for rock bottom there's there's a jail they're going to maybe get better, or there's maybe ask for help and get better. And then there's a tag on your toe. Right. Uh, Right. Right.
1: That's, that's the scary idea of letting them go to hit rock bottom because rock bottom, you don't come back a lot of times. I mean, sometimes they do. And some of those people that you talk to certainly, you know, like I hit rock bottom. Well, okay. then, And that was your rock bottom, right? That was what you decided was your rock bottom, but maybe you, somebody else decides that they can go lower than that. And then Mm. it ends up, they don't recover from that. Right. Right. So
2: exactly.
0: Yeah. So, so that's hard.
2: Oh yeah. And then tough, you know, oh, tough, you know, so I, so then I'm mad at him and right. uh, why can't you just, Uh, right. And I, and so and he would not, he refused to go to rehab. He said, I am not losing my shop. I worked my whole life for this. I am not losing my shop. And so Marcy, I made this, I mean, I was so out of it. I isolated myself. I did not hang out with my friends hardly anymore. I, the shame of addiction, right? The shame mm-hmm. of mental illness. I didn't tell very many people. And unfortunately, after spending all my money and I, st- I got to a point where I, I really needed to pay people back And I was like, the only way I'm going to be able to pay people back is to sell my house and use my equity. So I did my beautiful, I mean, it was very humble, but my, to me, it was beautiful. And I had a little bit of property and I loved that home. It was my mother's home. And so it was very sacred to me. And I, I made this hard choice and I sold it and I moved two hours North to Ashland, Oregon, so that I could be far enough away from him that I would stop giving him every penny. And then what am I going to give him a credit card next? You know, I was, I was that mom. I was that mom that not, you know, my son, I'm going to save him. And so,
1: and you're thinking to yourself,
2: he's going to see that I had to do this sacrifice
1: and that's going to be what turned him around,
2: And I couldn't have been any further from the truth because not knowing how insidious meth is, oh my gosh, he went, he started going further downhill in two years. I only saw him probably three times. And the last time I saw him, he was, he just wasn't looking very good at all. Mm -hmm. And this man, my, my son was like a Greek God, like women couldn't not stare at him. He's so handsome. And, and he just had this beautiful body that he always took great care of. And he still looked actually really good, but you could see in his eyes, it's the eyes Mm -hmm. that are different and there's the sparkle is gone and the smile is gone, you know, and I hadn't, I hadn't seen him in almost a year because I realized my mental health and my physical health were going down and I, I couldn't seem to get my feet back underneath me and recover. And I read this book called don't let your kids kill you. Okay. And this man, I, I mean, it really helped it, it. It's, it's a kind of, you could say maybe it's tough love, but what I, the, there were nuggets that I got from the book. I don't agree with everything, but the nuggets that I got from that book that really helped me were do not be mad at the child, be mad at the drug,
0: Mm -hmm. be
2: mad at the drug. And so I was like, okay, so I, I called my son. I had tried to reach out to him many times, but he was really, really mad at me and wouldn't talk to me. And finally, so he died on May 29th on May 25th. We finally talked, we talked for an hour. It was a great conversation. And he told me, mom, I don't really believe in free will. I really don't. And of course, when your brain, when your prefrontal cortex is not working, you know, and he just, and anyway, we taught, it was a beautiful talk. And then I got a text from him, a really long text that night. If anything happens to me, you know, da 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 da. And I was just like, okay, wow. I'd not talked to him in a long time. So I kind of had the walls up and I was protecting myself again from hearing anything bad. But now this kind of opened up that whole, oh crap. Now I've got my stomachs in knots again, you know? Right. So the next day we texted, next day we texted. And then, so the 29th was a Saturday. It was Memorial weekend. So the 27th on a Thursday night, I called him and he answered and he was like running. He's like, mom, I got to go. Somebody's after me, you know? And he was like, and I, yeah, he's like, somebody's chasing me or something. And I go, "Are, are you? Okay. And he's he goes, I gotta go, I gotta go. And he hung up. Of course, I'm just like, what is going on? And then I'm like, okay, wait. You know, Adderall and meth give make you paranoid and have delusional yeah, right. thoughts. And and so texted him, no, nothing. Texted him. And so Saturday morning. And remember, I'm two hours away. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, working full time now at the Ashland YMCA. And we were just doing all kinds of COVID masking issues. Yeah. And so I couldn't, leave, you know, it was one of those things where I was just like, but Saturday I need to leave, morning, I
1: can't leave. I need to leave. Yeah. Leave.
2: yeah. Well, and he had said in that hush, that rushed phone call that he might try to come up to Ashland. So I was like, is oh. he going to show up at my doorstep or, right. you know, right. And then so you really don't
1: feel like you want to go because he could be there anytime.
2: Exactly. So Saturday morning to, you know, call him and I leave him a message. And then call, don't hear back. And then I text him, nothing back. So then I called him again and it went straight to voicemail. And I was like, oh no. Yeah. And so I called my friend, Tim is one of my best friends. Who's a guy in Reading. And I said, Tim, I'm I'm driving down. I'll be there in two hours. I need to go find my son. And he said, I'll go with you. So I picked him up. We went over to Judson's shop. And the door was locked and I was pounding on the door. And then I, I I mean, it literally looked shut, but I, I started, I just kind of tried the door and it, and it came open and I was like, so it was locked, but not latched or whatever. It was locked, but not latched Mm -hmm. because I thought, okay, if he doesn't answer the door, we're just going to drive around and look for him. Like I, I didn't know what to do. I was just going crazy. And so, but my, when that phone went straight to voicemail, my gut turned and I knew I, Marcy, I knew right Mm -hmm. then something is terribly wrong. And so I walked into his shop and it's kind of dark and dreary because there's not very many windows in there. It's a huge shop. And I walked to where he had this uh, loft. So I walked up the steps to the loft where he slept because he also lived in his shop at this point. He, he Mm -hmm. sold his house when the meth got, you know, when the addiction got really bad. And he ended up selling his house. I mean, everything went down for him. That It feels so bad for him. Yeah. And so I walk in yeah. and I, I walk up to the loft and I was like, you know, walking up the steps really slowly because as I crested the top, I'm like, please don't let me find him dead up here. Please don't let me find him dead up here. And I, I forgot to mention that when, when I walked in the door, when, when I, when that door opened, sitting on a shelf right by the door was his cell phone and his keys. And I'm like, That is so not, he doesn't do that. He's never not with his cell phone ever. And so I, um, I walked up and I crested and I looked and he wasn't there. And I was like, oh, thank God. So I walked back down the stairs and I turned the corner and I had, you know, two choices. I could go back out the door because I was yelling and he wasn't answering. And then I, his bathroom is in the very back corner. And I thought, oh God, please, you know, is he back there? And it's kind of dark. And I don't know if I want to go back there. And Tim had waited kind of outside and, or just inside the door. Um, he didn't actually follow me all the way in. So I was kind of by myself. And I, I looked at that bathroom door and I thought, I've got to be brave right now. I've got to walk back there. You know, I've just got to. And so I started to, I took like three steps and um, something caught my eye. Something caught my eye. It was hanging in front of me. And it was Jensen. And I just screamed this guttural scream. And Sam goes, what? And I said he hung himself. Call 911.
0: Oh, Jamie.
1: It's so strange how, I mean, you wrote to me. And I knew that was the end of the story. <laughs> but yet I so in my heart, so desperately wanted it to come out different this time. When you, told that, you know? <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I just uh, can't imagine anything worse than finding that. (sighs) It's
2: It's a mother's, it's a parent's worst nightmare. nightmare. It it is the worst nightmare.
1: So funny because I hear people say, it's a parent's worst nightmare. It's a parent's worst nightmare. And I see people on Facebook writing things, oh, it's a parent's worst nightmare. And I so often think, oh, but it's not. But yours. I really think is. Thank you.
2: Let me say two things. First of all, that some of the police officers and some of the firefighters that came for the nine one one call former buddies, you know, and they got him down. And um, you know, in Reading that weekend, it was like a hundred and I think eight degrees, and I. I was just, I just sat outside his door. I wouldn't even stand up. And the chaplain came and she said, let's go in the air-conditioned car. And I said, I am not leaving this spot. I am not leaving this spot until they bring my son out and they rolled him out. And, and um, when they put him in the back of the coroner's van, I said, I said, could I just go up and like touch his feet through the body bag, you know, because I, yeah, you know, the last time, you know, yeah, it was just a surreal moment and Every time I would close my eyes, I didn't sleep a wink that night. And every time I would close my eyes, and sometimes still I see him hanging there, and it is the worst. But at the same time, Marcy, I'm so glad that I'm the one that found him. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a it's weird, cruel, kind of that way, a cruel, um, <laughs> beautiful thing at the same time. glad. I'm, I'm
1: with you in that. <laughs> I mean, my worst memory for sure. Is turned my head after that accident when I came through and seeing him do CPR on my boy. Oh, and mercy. And I'm just like you that I would close my eyes. I would try to sleep. And that's all I could see. I could just see that scene again and again. And I do tell you that that doesn't get better, that I don't see that as much anymore. So I can tell you that that will get better, but it is so hard it is so hard yeah and I'm so sorry for what you went through my gosh I know I know but me too me too it's just it's horrible when you have a kind of a traumatic scene yeah that you then have to relive
2: yeah and I I often wonder though is it worse to have not been there and have that wondering and when wondering of what you could have done. Yes. I I almost Uh wonder if that's worse, you know, and Pauline boss, Dr. Pauline boss, she just wrote a book on there is no closure, the myth of (laughs) the myth of or or, or ambiguous loss, the the myth of closure. And she Uh talks about ambiguous loss, you know, when maybe a person's not physically gone but they're mentally gone. Like in the case of addiction, it's an ambiguous loss or, you know, maybe they're now, maybe it's the loss of a dream or whatever. But I think of, I think of that as being an ambiguous loss. If you didn't know, if you weren't there, if you had all these questions, I mean, I think that not knowing, I think it might be worse. So a lot of people will tell me, You know, like oh, it was awful that you found him, but I, I said there was no other. But it's hard to get that
1: phone call too, right? Because exactly that was the other thing that could have happened. What could have happened? Somebody else could have found him. You would have been having like a normal day just at work or whatever, and then have it be devastating. So, what you had was obviously horrible, and obviously that that scene in your mind is really terrible. But as you say you did have the two hour drive where you're thinking to yourself, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Walking in, walk, you you had prepped yourself in some ways yeah, for the worst thing. Yes. As opposed to the utter shock of I'm having a totally fine day. And then I get the phone call that changes your life forever.
2: And I, I just, for anyone listening that might have a child with, addiction or, or a mental health disorder, like anxiety or depression, I mean, so listen to your gut. So listen to, listen to your gut and follow your heart and do, do whatever you need to do. And I, I cannot imagine because it was Memorial weekend. Monday was a holiday, right? Mm -hmm. So, and it was 108 outside. It would have been horrible on Tuesday, Tuesday, yeah. if the business owner's next door. I I cannot imagine. And so, and the beautiful part about me trusting my gut and really is that when my daughter and I got to go see him before they cremated him, they allowed us to go in and see him. And he looked so beautiful, Marcy. They did such a beautiful job because his face is beautiful and he was covered from the neck down. Of course, he had these beautiful, strong cheekbones and of course his beautiful blue eyes were closed, but he had these beautiful lips and strong jawline and he just he just looked like he was sleeping and they his lips were just in this almost a little teeniest bit of a smile just just yeah. not a smirk not a smile but just almost a little bit to where you were like oh he's at peace you right know? right
1: and, peaceful right yeah. that's what I was thinking as you were saying it I thought oh, and we peaceful. both
2: my daughter and I both gave him a kiss you know so I, I got to do that and I his his funeral was standing room only and they brought a fire truck and you know they just gave him his friends talked and it was amazing it was an amazing tribute to his life and right now I mean I, I've shut down my um my fitness business for now and I I put up a um picture of me looking at all the pictures of Judson and I on my page. And I just said, you know, I'm, I can't, I'm in the depths of despair right now. I can't train anybody right now, but what my dream is, is to do something like what you're doing and help people, because Mm -hmm. I really want to shine a light on this, the way that we see people with mental health issues or mental health diseases and, and, and addiction and trauma and, and suicide, you know, and so many people used to say suicide was such a selfish act, but my God, when you are on Um, under the influence of a drug that was prescribed by your family doctor and that you become addicted to that. There's a point where you're not thinking clearly. It's not your fault. It's the drugs. No, no, no. The mental state is just not
1: what it should be in that moment. It's not. And there's no, you just can't put blame on people I just you just can't you can't you we don't know what's going on in other people's heads you never know what's going on in someone else's head but you know in that moment for him he was just feeling such tremendous pain he's not thinking Mm -hmm. about tomorrow or next week or anything else at that moment
2: right and and I've been really soaking up even more information about meth and Adderall and there, there's a lot of research out there. And there um, is a gentleman that just wrote the least of us. And he's been he's an investigative reporter. And sorry, I can't remember his name. But he, he has been uh, studying this drug culture for a couple decades. And he said, in about 2013, meth changed, because as uh, we started the US and Canada started shutting down the home labs for meth that were blowing up neighborhoods and all of that Mm -hmm. back, back in the early two thousands, they started a campaign to shut down these labs. Well, as soon as those labs started to shut down, they did see a fall in meth addiction. And then in 2013, it starts spiking again because the Mexican cartel starts bring manufacturing it and bringing it over into the United States, which of course ends up in Canada also. And and now meth, the way that they're mixing it now, it's ten times worse. Ten times worse. Mm-hmm. And where meth used to be like, hey, let's stay up all night and party, kind of. I mean, not stay up all night. Let's let's um, get high and do an upper. And it was a party drug. After 2013, now it's an isolation drug. Now it's a you you take it and then you just that's why that homelessness is so pervasive also they everybody's in their own little tent their own little space and they they go inside they go do the drug together and then they come inside it's maddening Mm -hmm. and it's just to think that every every time I pass a truck or car I'm like are you the person bringing the meth in (laughs) you know who are I mean is it is it and no particular car you know I'm not not judging any like like, because we all know that uh, the drug drug dealers make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so is it is it a big truck? Is it a small truck? Like it,
1: Yeah, that's funny because you saying that it made me think back to those early days after. So we were hit by a white BMW and I hated seeing any white BMW ever. Man. Like any white BMW oh, was oh. like, I wanted to, you know, knock out the headlights and obviously it wasn't the car right that car was totally destroyed it wasn't but in your mind you get so you get angry at objects sometimes in mm -hmm. an irrational way and so for you to be looking at trucks like
2: that could be the one. I totally get that.
1: Only okay. yours is just a little more universal. At least I had well, it only a white BMW,
2: but well, you know, I I say truck meaning like a big, you know, semi truck. Like, like do you have like lots of drugs in there or do you have Amazon right. in there, <laughs> you know? Right, right, you don't and, know. And I think about when I moved up to Oregon and I was constantly going back and forth through the border. Uh of California and Oregon, it's like, Hey, do you have any fruit? Nope. Okay. Bye. You know, you, you, you go through this checkpoint and there there's no, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they, if they suspect something, they pull you over, but it's just, it would be really easy to, (laughs) yeah. And And I don't know how that would be regulated. I, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not, I don't pretend to know what the answer is, but I, I just know that that it's frustrating too. Isn't it? It is. When you
1: don't know the answer, when you feel like this really horrible thing happened to me and I really desperately want it to not happen to someone else, Mm -hmm. right? Because you are, you're desperately not wanting to happen to someone else. But I can't really do anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to help prevent it from happening to somebody
2: else. That's so hard because that's not what you want Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. I know that prevention. yeah, education, teaching kids in school. And I know their uh, Angela connect is, is working on a, a curriculum to uh, bring more awareness into the schools. And in one of the meth articles that I was reading um, up in Canada, they asked kids, did, did the dare program work? You know, they would, they would go interview kids yeah. seven years after dare. So they're now they're like 21. And they said, no, not yeah. at all. It didn't do anything. I was going to me. say,
1: there's been plenty of research showing that the DARE program did nothing yeah. at all. And that was okay.
2: Not and so they said, what <laughs> is helping is this storytelling and yes. real world examples of people like us who have, well, I shouldn't say us, oh, so you've lost your child. I'm sorry. I meant us because we're, <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, yeah, grieving right. mothers, but people who lose these and I think every human being is beautiful, wonderful, amazing. You know, I I just, we all, we all deserve a right to be here and to live. And, and so I don't, but I think you're
1: right. Emotional storytelling
2: is so much more powerful. Mm -hmm. It is powerful. It it is. Every time I drive by a homeless person, I just look at them and I go, God, what happened to you? What happened? Yeah. Yeah. they say the opposite of addiction is connection and needing help. And I really wish I had, I really wish I would have manhandled my son. I wish I would have gotten his firefighter buddies together and just said, okay, we're forcing you into rehab because he wasn't going to go to rehab. He just wasn't going to do it. I'm not going to leave my shop. He was so stubborn and he was his, he had a lot of pride because he had early success in life and, Mm -hmm. you know, and he had a huge retirement. I mean, I, I can't believe how much that kid saved. And he made so much money on his business and it's all gone. And then he was borrowing for me too. It just, it's just unbelievable the way that drug affects the brain. And they really think when they're under the influence that they're right. And that Absolutely. those garbage type objects that they bring into the home or into the you know garage or it start, they start collecting things. And I spoke with a high school friend who he told me he was addicted to meth for like two years. And he said, oh, you see an old toilet seat and you're like, oh, I'm going to fix that. And he said, you go dumpster diving and you grab things and you're like, because in their brain, the drug has this effect on them that makes them think it's valuable. Yeah. And that it's they can bizarre. do all that stuff and they'll be yeah. able to do all this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, a year before he died, um, knowing that all of my research showed that a holistic approach to healing. Um, addiction, just like healing anything, really it's all the same, you know, great nutrition, great sleep and yoga, exercise, meditation. And I've been a fitness instructor my whole life, but I was cardio kickboxing, you know, mock two with my hair on fire, never wanted to slow down, hated yoga. So a year before he died, I was like, okay, if yoga is a healing modality, I am going to learn how to teach yoga. So I did the 200 hour certification. I hated it. I was bored. I was like, when are we going to start kicking some, <laughs> you know, <laughs> punching something or kicking something? And I, but a strange thing happened after teaching for about two months, I started just one day I walked into my house and I was like, oh gosh, I feel good. Something, you know, and even, I'm still suffering because Judson's still an addict and I was still in that place, but I was like, oh, it's the yoga. Yeah. Yoga is actually helping me. And I was only doing a half hour session, you know, because I, because of my schedule, I couldn't teach more than a half hour and a half an hour, a couple of times a week was really helping me. And I was like, I need to share this with my son, which is why I became certified in the first place. And I'm really sad that I never got the opportunity to do that, you know, to share it with him. Not that he would have done it, but it was my, it was the one thing that I could do, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to make any sense or make anything good come of this? thing that I've gone through with my son, because watching your child suffer is the worst thing in the world. You know, they say you're only as happy Mm -hmm. as your saddest child. Right. And I, my, my dream, you know, once I can get my brain, I mean, you can probably tell my brain is just still all over the place, but once I can get myself to where I feel like I can function again, that's my dream is to turn my website now into um, like what you have been done with Andy's Mm -hmm. mom. And Mm -hmm help grieving parents and help people to get through this addiction journey. Oh my gosh.
1: Yeah. I, I do want to bring up that you made a really good point. You know, people come to me, bring their kids to me when they've been to counseling and they say, we need to start on some medication, you know, an antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication. And I always say to them, I hold up my hand <laughs> and I say, I can give you medication. This is one fifth of what you need to do. Mm -hmm. This is only one thing because this is not going to make you better. This could get you from here to here, but it's not going to get you to here. So I need you to continue going to counseling or start counseling on some people that haven't, because I won't put anyone on medication who's not in counseling and you need to get good nutrition. You need to get good sleep and you need to get yourself moving and get some exercise and you have to do all five. And if you don't do all five, like you're, we're not going to get you where you need to be. So I think that's important. And, and I'm glad to bring it up here because I do want people. And I think even in a grieving community, which I've not been doing the best job myself, I have to admit this of looking at my hand and making sure I'm doing everything oh. that I should be doing, Amen. because i I I need to be looking at my nutrition more. I need to be moving more. I need to be doing all those things more. But thinking back on that's what you want to think to yourself that even if you are really doing poorly and you are on some medication, think of that as twenty percent of your treatment and not a hundred.
2: Mm-hmm. Because
1: if you start thinking of it as twenty percent of your treatment, I think you will be in a better place than if you think that medication is going to get you the whole way.
2: That's brilliant. And, and isn't it interesting that it's not just, it's not just the holistic approach for depression or addiction. It's just life in general and happiness and diabetes or, or whatever the ailment is really, if you can have you know, there's five things. And even maybe if you don't need the medication, adding right. medita- meditation instead of medication Right, or right, right, adding, right. You know, that, but that's just, good too. Cause, cause right? right now I'm
1: not on medication. So I gotta say I'm back to four. So right. we want to move meditation in as my, there you I go. love it. Cause One it gets me, gets me using
2: the hand analogy again. And so, and, and I think something that really gets people stuck and I know we're, we're getting close here, but I is with fitness. And I found this being a health coach for, for so long, a couple decades is that, is that people think, okay, I have to exercise for an hour or I have to meditate for a certain amount of time, or I have to do an hour and a half of yoga to benefit. And it's simply not true. You can do so much in five minutes. And that's where I recommend people even start. If you're just beginning, you know, and we had, we had to, you know, roll over before we learned to crawl and crawl before we sat up and sat up before we walk. And uh-huh. You know, walk before we read, you know, it's the same thing with anything new that you do. And I decided to do a trauma informed yoga certification. And so I started that um, to also help people. Uh, this is before Judson died also. And I only have 20 hours left. And when he died, I just keep putting it off because I don't want to get in front of a camera because my 20 hours remaining are to teach yoga classes. Um, and that will be free to the public. So that will go on my website when When I finally get the wherewithal to do it, (laughs) I don't know when that will be.
1: Yeah. Well, I know you will. I I do know you well. And I think you will be able to help people in really beautiful ways. I can just see that already. I can can sense that from you, you, that what you have to give is amazing. And it's hard It's hard sometimes to hear that. I know because I I have a hard time hearing that because I think to myself, what ends up happening in your head is you think, well, then somehow I'm saying it's okay that Andy died in some way because I'm making all this good come from it. No, no, that's not what we're saying here. What we're saying is, in spite of that, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: in spite of the horribleness of losing Judson, I can still do something beautiful. So that's where. I think you will end up being when you are ready is despite this horrible experience that you have had. Beauty will
2: come. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Marcy. That's well put. And I, I, if I could help even one person not go through what I went through, it would be worth it. It, It, this living hell has been just devastating. And somebody that I listened to the other day said, Can you alchemize this pain into something good? And it's still pretty early for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but uh, that's my dream and that I'll get my website going again and, and help others. And I want to hold grief meetings and because it's really interesting, isn't it? How the grieving parents is awesome to connect with them, but then finding somebody who's grieving kind of the same type of grief that you are, or this the kid was at the age that mm-hmm. either, there's something about, okay, then also going out and, and really finding uh, people that you can really, really relate to and share, because my son was 38 years old. And mm-hmm. I look at my life, I'm 59. And I look at my life and I go, oh, this is my life. I will never see my son again on this earth. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just so much to this, this grieving process and we need help. We need each other. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for sharing today. I really enjoyed it. Me too. And you're
2: so welcome.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment to help financially. You can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com, Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.